You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Everybody, welcome back to the Tell It As It Is podcast, episode 37 on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase basketball's most coveted trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. And doing so is simple. In fact, it's probably the easiest bet you will ever make. All you've got to do to turn $1 into $100 is pick any basketball team to win their next game, and if that team hits one three-pointer, you will bring home one hundred dollars in free bets that is 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit just one three-pointer and they don't even need to win all they have to do is hit that one three-pointer this year's basketball teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace so get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So we have news breaking currently at this moment right now, just before I hit record on the show. Finally, right? Perfect timing. For the show, the Avalanche's updated schedule has just released, and it's not going to get any easier from here on out, like I was saying last episode. Some surprises in here, some surprise moving, but ultimately it makes sense. So what would have been Tuesday's game against the Blues on the 20th has been rescheduled to April 26th at 7 p.m. Now, wait a minute, you might be asking... The Avalanche play the Golden Knights on the 26th at 10 o'clock that night. There's no way they're doing a doubleheader, right? Well, you'd be correct. There is no doubleheader, but that game against the Golden Knights has been moved from April 26th to May 10th, the third to last game of the season. But wait, you might be asking, there are no games scheduled after April 8th against the Kings. Well, that's where the final two games come in. The two games we were supposed to play against the Kings last week have been scheduled for May 12th and May 13th, ending the season the way it was intended to be ended with a back-to-back against the Los Angeles Kings. Also meaning that we are going to be playing the Kings four times in seven days and also five games in seven days to end the season. So that's half of our season series against the LA Kings right there, and that's after we finish up half of our season series against the San Jose Sharks right before that. So that is eight of our final nine games against the Sharks and the Kings. So we've got three games left against the Blues, two games left against the Knights, And one of those games against the Knights, right after we finish up with the Blues. And it's going to be a slog the rest of the way after that. We'll see how exciting those games against the Sharks and Kings end up being. But like I've said a lot of times, the real interest is going to be in the Blues and the Knights. I'm I'm almost hoping we can get a truce for those final games. I mean, what the Sharks and Kings, what are they playing for at this point? especially as we get to, like, the end of the season. Like, 
I know the Kings think they're in it a little bit, and the Sharks, like, let's take a look at the standings right now. The Sharks are four points out of a playoff spot. The Kings are five points out of a playoff spot. But I mean, I mean, really, are you playing to get in the playoffs at that point? I mean, at that point, especially if you are the Sharks and you have such a long road ahead of you for what is going to have to be a rebuild. I mean, they don't have to play that hard, do they? I mean, they could just play some of the new guys, right? We don't have to have a, a mean game, do we? We can just be nice to each other. Come on, right? We don't want anyone injured before the playoffs or anything. We don't want anyone too tired out. We can we can make a deal, can't we? Like it it's better for the Sharks to lose. I mean, they've I've, I haven't looked at their winning losing streak lately. I believe they've lost six in a row, which pretty much knocks them out of the playoff spot. I mean, if they lose a few more games, what's the harm? It just drops them a little back further in the standings, and it gives them a better shot at the lottery. And the Kings, you know, like. It's, it hasn't been their season all season. There was a little bit of a stretch early on in February where it seemed like they might make a push, but now they're 17 and 26. Like, come on, guys. We can we can work together here and figure something out, right? Like, just not interesting matchups. But the matchups that are interesting, the Blues getting moved to the 26 surprises me. So we're still going to have three straight games in St. Louis to finish up our season series against them. We'll see how those end up going. And I think those will be, end up being pretty tough games and a pretty good playoff preview. I'm dead set on the Avalanche playing the Blues in the first round because I think we are going to win the division and the Blues are going to beat out Arizona for that final spot. But the, these three games are pretty much going to be big factors in how both those races turn out because going to talk about this a little later on the show. Vegas is boiling hot right now. They are the hottest team in the league. They have taken over first place with the Avalanche idol, but the Avalanche have two games in hand in the points percentage advantage, so we'll see how that holds up once the Avalanche get back in action, but those should be pretty fun matchups starting again hopefully tomorrow night, but that's the new schedule, and hopefully the final time we will have to see any schedule changes for the Avalanche at all this season had to deal with it plenty of times so far. This is the second COVID pause the Avalanche have had to deal with. Thankfully, this list a little smaller this time, but unfortunately, yesterday when it seemed like no one was going to be added to the list, Bo Byram comes off the list for the first time in about two weeks. Great news. Only two players on the list, that being Grubauer and Donskoy. Looks like everything's on pace be just fine for Thursday and Tuesday when the list drops. Miko Rantanen gets added to the COVID protocol list, bringing the list back to three players for the Avalanche. And th this one, like, made my heart drop. Like, God damn it. It just had to get worse, didn't it? I had, I had to say something after Byram came off the list. Like, ugh. Some good news, finally. We're on pace. Things are getting better. This is the last time we'll have to do it. Rantanen's on the list the next day. I should just stop talking, honestly. Every time I say something, it's just, no, you take it back. So the good news, if there is any, with Rantanen is that he has not actually tested positive here and that he was added to the protocol list due to contact tracing. He's been separate from the team, and he can rejoin them for the second half of their upcoming road trip, which is obviously five games, three against the Blues. No, four games, because I'm looking at the old schedule still. Three against the Blues, one against the Knights. So he can come back for the second half of the road trip for the final game against the Blues and the only game against Vegas on the road. So... Assuming all goes well there, maybe crisis averted because he has not tested positive here. This is precaution. That This does not mean he's he cannot test positive. He can. It's contact tracing for a reason. But for the time being, that at least is a bullet dodged. But that does now leave the avalanche 
now without for at least two games, Miko Rantanen, Philip Grubauer, and Jonas Donskoy. And they are, outside the Devils, they are the only team in the league with players in COVID protocol right now. The Devils have P.K. Subban in protocol, nobody else. Four players in the league, three of them on the avalanche. So they just got to, seems like they just got to survive two games against the Blues with arguably two of their most valuable players this season missing. I mean, I ranted and raved about Ranton in last season and just how good he's been. And then one day after the episode drops, he's back on to COVID list. I was saying how it's great he's been healthy and just, man, I really just, I really should just stop saying things. I guess I'll never learn my lesson with that, but that was just, that was brutal to see. But thankfully, it seems like he will end up coming back sooner than later, assuming all goes well with the next batch of tests. No word on Grubauer quite yet outside of what the initial prognosis was after the the Blues game last Wednesday, that we might not see him for two weeks, so... Maybe he'll be back for the game against the Golden Knights, but even then I'd worry about him not playing for too long and whatnot. So there's certainly going to be some of the metal tested for the Avalanche in this upcoming stretch. Three games against a hungry Blues team that is desperate for some wins and needs to win games to get in the playoffs. Last I checked, you need to actually win hockey games to get into the playoffs. They're 3-6-1 and one in their last 10 and right now they're out of it. The Coyotes are one point ahead of them, but the Blues have three games in hand. And who do the Blues have three games against coming up? The Avalanche. Now, obviously, Arizona's going to have some games in there as well, but for the Blues to reach 46 games like the Coyotes are at now, they'll reach that once they're done with the Avs. So they're going to have to really dig deep and find out just how deep this team is. You're going to be without your top goal scorer, you're going to be without your best goalie, and you're going to be without one of your key depth guys who's having a career season at an absurdly high shooting percentage. Donskoy's been a little colder recently, but he's still been helpful, he's still been productive, and he's not that far off from his ridiculous hot streak where he was scoring seemingly every single night. He had the hat trick against Arizona in the first period, but you're going you're gonna to see just how deep this team can run, and if if the the wheels fall off the bus without those two guys, because with, the Avalanche have had to deal with injuries this season. They've had to deal with big injuries this season to essentially everybody. McKinnon's been out for a stretch. McCarr's been out for a stretch. We've only had one game without Grubauer. We're about to see what it looks like without him here. Now we're going to see what it's like without Rantanen, too, and if this team can still function at a high level without him. I think they can. I see no reason as to why they can't, but it's not like you can properly fill that Rantanen-sized hole on the top line. There's definitely going to be some drop-off there that you're going to have to deal with, and we'll see how they live without Philip Grubauer. Is Andre Burakovsky going to bump up to that top line? I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of that. I was before the season, but Burakovsky, he's had some runs on the top line this season, and he hasn't looked very good on them. Do you put Val Nichushkin up there? I'd be all right with that. Skates very hard and can complement McKinnon and Landeskog on that top line. I think better than Burakovsky can. I think I think Burakovsky is a better player than Nichushkin, but I think just with their skill sets, I think Nichushkin is a better fit on that top line. Or maybe they put Brandon Saad up there, put him on his off wing on the right wing. I mean, Saad can play either wing. I don't think it'll ultimately matter that much. I mean, you've got options there. None of them are Miko Rantanen. I think the best choice would be putting Nichushkin up there. I don't think Saad is really going to do much on that top line. It's not. He doesn't play a similar game to Landis Gog, but you already have Landis Gog up there. You don't need Saad up there, really. So I'd say it comes down to Burakovsky or Nichushkin on that top line. I think you keep Burakovsky with Kadri, and you plug Nachushkin up there for two games. And if it, you know what, and if it doesn't work, you can change it. It's not like it's locked in stone for two games. Maybe you can start out with Nachushkin, and maybe you see after the first period this is a disaster. It's not going to work, and you put Burakovsky up there. You can change it. So it's not like they'll be locked into a decision 
either way. But the real question for this team and how they're going to perform while they have players out on protocol is in net, obviously. Without Philip Grubauer, who's going to step up and make the saves here? Is Devin Dubnik going to get the lion's share of starts? I think so. And can he perform? Is he going to be able to make the necessary saves to give this team a real shot at winning for at least the next three games, it seems? I certainly hope so. We only have one instance of Dubnik in net. That was obviously the very last game the Avalanche played against the Blues. 31 saves on 34 shots for a 9-12 save percentage. Two of those goals came in the third period from Mike Hoffman. I didn't love the goals, especially the second one. They're at least the second goal of the game, not the second goal of the period. The goal that made it 4-2 just seemed like he didn't respond to the puck very well. The thing I noticed about Dubnik in that game is just like, I was thinking to myself, does this guy even have like a pulse in net? Because it seems like he reacts to pucks the same, whether they are sliding at him five miles an hour or there are cross-crease passes for an excellent scoring chance. And in some cases, that's a great thing. It doesn't seem like he ever panics, but I also it also doesn't seem like he reacts enough. And maybe that's just how he's always played. I, I don't know. So I hope he can step in there and perform enough to give this Avalanche team a boost when they need it without Grubauer in net, but we're going to have to see. It's going to be certainly tough because obviously he's not Grubauer and we didn't acquire him to be Grubauer, but we also got him for this purpose, that we need him as insurance if anything ever happened to Grubauer. And is Jonas Johansson going to get any of these games either? Because you really, you really can't tell right now. Because there's no hot hand to ride. It would have been Jonas Johansson, but he also hasn't played in a minute. Last game JoJo played was 10 days ago. I mean, it's not that much of a difference. It's a three-day difference between the last game Dubnik played and the last game JoJo played. I'm, o I'm always a believer that you should ride the hot hand until it cools, whether it's your backup goalie or your starting goalie. And in this case, it would be JoJo, but I don't see any way they don't start Devin Dubnik in the next game, considering they just traded for him at the deadline for this exact purpose. But I think I would have enough faith in JoJo that he can step in if Dubnik falters at all, like if in the second game, per se, on Saturday, if Dubnik falters at all. I think you can plug JoJo in there just fine and not have it be too much of an issue. Okay, now this now the schedule just updated the the main NHL.com schedule I'm looking at. So now I'm not going to make any more mistakes on that. So tomorrow against the Blues, Saturday against the Blues, and Monday against the Blues. Everything else until the end of the season is the same, or at least what was supposed to be the end of the season. Then after that is different. So I would I think JoJo gets at least one of these games. I think maybe just to see if Dubnik is bad in the first game. Like, let's say he lets in five goals on 25 shots. JoJo definitely gets the next game, and then probably the next one after that, depending on how he does. But And maybe I'm putting too much stock into performances from Johansson against the Ducks, since the Ducks aren't very good. But you can't sneeze at the, the work he had in those games. He stopped all of 56 shots, I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly. It, they were not, like easy breezy games for him he had to stop 28 shots in the first one for the 2-0 shutout the first of his career and he had to stop 24 in the next one only letting one from Jamie Drysdale in the third period that he really had no control over so 53 shots in two games I mean that's not nothing it's not amazing but it's not nothing so honestly, I wouldn't complain about either Dubnik or Johansson getting the start. It's not like we have to worry about resting either of them because it ultimately doesn't matter. If one of them gets hot, you ride them until Grubauer's back whenever that is. If Dubnik ha lets in one goal against the Blues and makes 30 saves, you play him the next game. If he's bad, you play JoJo the next game. I, I don't think it needs to be overcomplicated. You just start with Dubnik and go from there. But it's... We're still all going to be counting the days until Grubauer's back because neither of them are Philip Grubauer. And 
Phil Grubauer is a Vesna candidate this season, barring someone very late in the stretch barging into that conversation or Grubauer collapsing once he comes back. But he's definitely in that conversation for the Vesna, and you can't replace that on the trade market with Dubnik and Johansson. So regardless, we're still going to be missing Grubauer, and the offense is going to have to step up and play because this team plays differently when Grubauer is not in net. I think that's very obvious. And they're just they're gonna have to find a way to be the avalanche because there's this upcoming stretch is is the most important one for the rest of the season. Three games against the Blues and you finish off against Vegas. There's not really gonna be any more time to find your legs again. You're just gonna have to pick up where you left off, I suppose. And for the players that didn't test positive, they should look rested and ready to go and anxious because they haven't had eight days off probably since the start of the season. They haven't had more than two days off since February. And now all of a sudden they have eight. So I'm optimistic that they'll come out against the Blues maybe a little rusty, like maybe just like timing's a little off and everything. But I'd say by the second period and the third, and especially the second game, I expect the McKinnons of the world to be absolutely flying. Because let's not forget the the Avalanche team that has been dominating as of late is still a very tired hockey team. And if they are properly rested and ready for this home stretch, they can do even more damage. And if they can find their legs before the game against Vegas at the end of the month, just the, now the single game against Vegas on the 28th, that's probably your second biggest game left, the biggest one at the end of the season against Vegas, and if they can make a statement in that one and pull away a little bit and get some breathing room in the division, maybe that last game won't matter that much at all. And speaking of Vegas, before we even dive into their winning streak as of late, Vegas can clinch a playoff spot tonight against the San Jose Sharks. By the time you're listening to this, the Golden Knights might be the first team to clinch a playoff spot in the NHL. If they get one point against the Sharks, they're in. So, Based on that magic number, the Avalanche just need three points against the Blues over the next three games, and they will officially clinch a spot in the playoffs. Not that it was ever in question, but it's just, it's not the same as, there's there's something like significant about like actually clinching that playoff spot. The, the Avalanche, if you, if you ran a simulation for the rest of the season a million times, I believe Hockey Viz has been doing this lately. That's just their, how their model works. Vegas and Colorado, even before they clinched, they run it however many absurd amount of times. They're getting to the point where it's like they don't even miss in one of them. It's such a minuscule chance that even in a million simulations, that small, not even worth talking about percentage doesn't even happen anymore. So they're, they are already in, but there's just a significance to actually clinching that spot officially. But Vegas is scorching hot, like I've been talking about. They are on a seven-game winning streak, and they have taken full advantage of a California heavy stretch. Their last loss was against the St. Louis Blues on April 7th, they have not lost a hockey game. Assuming they win tonight against the San Jose Sharks, which I think they will, they will have not lost a hockey game in two weeks. Since then, they have beaten the Coyotes 7-4 and then 1-0, beaten the Kings 4-2, then 6-2, beaten the Ducks 4-0, then 5-2, and then beating the Sharks 3-2 in a shootout. So they have, take, they have taken full advantage of, granted, playing the worst teams in the division. There's no Minnesotas or St. Louis's in that stretch. The last game they played against St. Louis and Minnesota, they lost. That's the thing with Vegas, is that their record is really good, and it's mainly because they absolutely dominate the the worst teams in this division. Like, I have no idea how I would be able to find their record again. I, I think I can find their individual series records against each team, but from what I remember, it's like they've lost just a couple of games against the bottom four teams in the division, that being the Coyotes, the Sharks, the Kings, and the Ducks. 
And when it comes to playing Minnesota and Colorado, I think they're like barely 500. I think if at all, if they were 500. So they they take full advantage of playing those bad teams in the division. I have the Sharks in front of me. So the Golden Knights have not lost a game to the San Jose Sharks this season. Maybe by the time you're listening to this tomorrow, the Sharks upset Vegas and that changes. But as of right now, as I'm reading this, the Golden Knights are 6-0. and against the Sharks this season. And if I were to look at maybe any of these other games, let's look at the Ducks season series. The Golden Knights are 6-1 and one against the Anaheim Ducks this season. And the one time the Ducks beat them was a one to nothing game on February 11th. So let's find the Kings now. Against the Kings, the Golden Knights are, drum roll, 6-2. Wow, so the Kings beat them twice. They're done with that season series this season. The Kings beat them 3-1 to and 4-2 to this season in a 10-day stretch. Vegas pretty much dominated every game after that. And finally, the Arizona Coyotes. The Golden Knights against the Coyotes are 5-1. and Yeah, so they have absolutely destroyed the weaker teams in this division. Doing the math off the top of my head and trusting my very poor short-term memory, 5-1 and against Arizona. 7-0 or 6-0 against the Sharks and 6-2 against Vegas and 6-1 against the Ducks. So they, they've barely lost any games to the weaker teams in this division. That And their record shows it. That's how they've been able to keep pace with the Avalanche. The Avalanche had a few bad games against some of these teams earlier in the season. By earlier in the season, I mean as early ago as March. I mean, the last time they played the Sharks, they... Or that last series against the Sharks, they lost that first one 6-2. to two, And then they had those back-to-back overtime games against the Ducks. After that, things pretty much evened out. Their last like loss against those teams was the incredibly bad luck game against the Coyotes, where the Coyotes scored three goals on 11 shots, and the Avalanche had about 45 or something ridiculous like that. They have not had a bad loss like that sense. They lost one shootout game to Arizona like that sense. But before that, they were dropping the odd game here and there. They would get blown out by Minnesota. I'm mainly talking about January, where they had a bad loss against the Kings, a bad loss against the Ducks, and bad loss to Minnesota. Like They lost some of those games early on. But the Avalanche, they perform far better against the top teams in the division than Vegas does. I mean, it might not show because we recently got beat pretty bad by Minnesota, but we beat Minnesota five of three times. I mean, five of eight times Minnesota beat us three times this season. And in the games we won, they were not necessarily that close. So that's ultimately the difference between them. I mean, not to discredit Vegas or anything, a seven-game winning streak is impressive, but they they eat those four teams for breakfast every single time they play. It's they're not close. 7-4 against Arizona and then one to nothing. And these the only other game that was close in that stretch was their last one, a 3-2 shootout loss to the Sharks that Vegas came back from 2-0 down and also the game that Patrick Marlowe broke the all-time games played record held by Gordy Howe and I was just trying to even fathom that game's played record this morning, and I, I can't even begin to wrap my brain around just the amount of stress that those games would put on your body. Just, just to get sidetracked for a little bit here and just talk about what a incredible achievement it is for Patrick Marlowe, just, be, just because we're on the topic of that game. Patrick Marlowe passed Gordy Howe's record of 1,767 games in that game against the Golden Knights, and he has not missed a game. Play When he plays tonight, Marlowe will have played 900 consecutive games. He will not have missed a game. I don't actually know the last time he missed a game, but he was drafted in 1997, second overall. And he's been playing in the league, I believe, since he was drafted. I would have to find that very quickly. He was, okay, second overall, 1997, and makes his debut in 1997. So he was drafted and immediately comes into the league. 
For context, I was born in 2000. So Patrick Marlowe has been playing hockey for three years before I was even born. He's been playing more seasons than years I've been alive. It's kind of ridiculous to think about, and I'd have to really find the last time he missed a game. Okay, I assume it was here in 2008-2009. He played 76 games. So he has not missed a game in 900 games. Just doing the math in my head, that's just short of 11 straight seasons without a single game missed. That's unbelievable. That record is never getting passed, by the way. No one is ever going to pass Patrick Marlowe for that record for at least as long as I live. Because I think there's a whole different era of hockey coming. I think they're going to follow the lead of basketball where we're going to see load management maybe a bit more often for stars, especially in unimportant games. I mean, you see it at like the very end of the season in the games that literally have no meaning. But I think we're going to start seeing it maybe a little more. Like you see in basketball, like if there's a completely unimportant game, then maybe Kawhi Leonard or LeBron doesn't play in it. I don't th- I don't think it'll ever get to that extreme in the NHL, but I do think it's coming a little bit. And I just don't know how someone would ever reach that record. Is there anyone in the NHL that could reach that record? I I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, Alex Ovechkin comes to mind, but that just it's up to him how long he can play hockey cuz the only, the only person who's ever going to stop Alex Ovechkin from playing hockey is Alex Ovechkin. He's done when he says he's done and not a second before. He is always going to be good. Alex Ovechkin is the biggest freak of nature in the NHL by far, all due respect to Patrick Marlowe for the amount of games he's played. But Alex Ovechkin is a genetic freak, and if he decides to break that record that Marlowe set, he will just because he's Ovechkin. They don't call him a Russian machine for nothing. He is a once-in-a-lifetime human specimen. That's that's the one player I can think of that could break that record. Is, is Joe Thornton close to that record at all? He missed a, significant parts of some seasons before with knee surgery. I'd, I will try to, I'd try to find it real quick, but... I just don't I just don't think that there's anyone that's going to break that record for a little bit. Maybe maybe they're not even born yet for all we know. But right now it's Patrick Marlowe at 1768, Joe Thornton at 1670. So he is a little less than 100 games behind. So Marlowe would have to retire basically this season and Thornton would have to play for at least one whole full season and then some games in a season after that. Here's who I was forgetting. Zdeno Chara. He's at 1,598 games. That's that's a rough one. I don't see how that happens. But Ovechkin, I could see happening. Ovechkin is sixth on the active games played list at 1,194. I mean, but even then, that is just a little under 600 games behind. Like, I can do the math on that real quick just to see what that would look like. If you do 1768 minus 1194. And this is and this is even assuming that Marlowe retires today. That's 574 divided by 82. So okay, so Alex Ovechkin is an entire seven seasons behind Patrick Marlowe. I love Alex Ovechkin. And like even if Patrick Marlowe retires at the end of this season he plays the next 10 games and Ovechkin's seven seasons behind him that that's a tall order but at the same time if Ovechkin is just behind the Gretzky goal record I don't see him retiring or going to the KHL but seven seasons full seasons but it is Ovechkin and he like I said that is a genetic Freak of nature. I could I could see him passing that record. I, I can see Ovechkin playing until he's 42. If he if he wants to, he can easily do that with no problem at all. He there like pain doesn't work on that man. There really is no slowing him down. He's 35 and he's still in the rocket race this season with McDavid and Rantanen. And he's not gonna pass Matthews 
Matthews is going to win that this season, but the he's barely behind Rantanen. He's a decade older than him. Like, this guy's a freak. It's unbelievable. So if Ovechkin wants to pass that record and wants to play for seven full more seasons, he will. But for Patrick Marlowe, that is an outstanding record. And just, I, I didn't even fathom that that Gordie Howe record would ever even be broken until it was like 20 games before. It was like, oh, Marlowe's going to pass that this season. And if Ovechkin doesn't pass it or Thornton doesn't pass it, I don't see anyone on here passing it. And with the upcoming era of NHL, I think is going to have a lot more focus on sports science and things of that nature. I don't ultimately see that record ever being passed, at least while I'm around. But ultimately, getting back on track, Vegas, seven-game winning streak, another game against the Sharks, and I don't think they had another game rescheduled after having the one against the Avs moved. No, they did not, so they will have their game against the Sharks tonight and another game against the Ducks on Saturday. God, this must be nice. They have two days off between the game against the Ducks and then three days off before they play the Avalanche, and... Look at the rest of their season. It's not much better than ours, but they have a game every other day, a back-to-back on the 7th and 8th against the Blues, and they finish up against the Avalanche on the 10th before they play their final game against the Sharks on the 12th. So that game against the 10th, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out, and there, there could be a way that that game could be for all of the Marbles. I can see that game getting moved to primetime on NBC and getting a ton of attention around it for all the marbles. Technically, the Golden Knights would still have one more game after that against the Sharks, and we'd still have two against the Kings, so there would still be a possibility that one of us could pass the other in that final stretch, but that that game is, I'm just going to call it right now, it's going to be for all the marbles. It has to be. With the way Vegas is going right now, even if we stop them, dead in their tracks and beat them on the 28th they yeah well they got two games against the wild and two against the blues even if they go 500 in that i still see this going right down to the wire it's gonna be the most important game of the season it's gonna be a mini playoff game there's still gonna be plenty to play for because even if even if let's just theoretically say we are three points ahead of vegas at that point they can close the gap to one there and beat the sharks and depending how we do against the Kings, they can still realistically win the division. So there's there would still be plenty to play for in that case. And I think I think you'll get a good look at what the Avalanche are going to look like a week later in that game. That's going to be a mini playoff game. And assuming the stars align a lot on the line, and you'll see just how the Avalanche respond in those situations. Because... Really, the last time they've had like mini mini playoff games was the last time against Vegas, where they had those two games against Vegas. Especially that last one, that last game against Vegas on the twenty seventh of March, really felt like a playoff game. And I'm still a little disappointed in that third period they played against them. So I want to see it again and just how they do against them again in that final game. And we're gonna see them Vegas next week, exactly a week from today that I'm recording this on Wednesday on the 28th. It's going to be it's going to be fun at least those two games. The rest of them might be a slog once we get out of this stretch against the Blues, but man, I'm just I I just I've said it before, I'm just getting a little tired of the West. I've gotten tired like I'm even tired of talking about Vegas. Like there like there is no other obstacle blocking us from getting to the final four and to an extent that's true like it's just like all season we've been talking about how does this team match up against Vegas well what does this mean for Vegas and how does this match up against us and can Grubauer match Fleury it's like it's a fun conversation and a fun theoretical one to have and I hope at some point we'll get that answered in a seven game series but I just like there's nothing else to talk about really because we're really not going to get any true answers about this team until that playoff series because let's just say everything goes perfectly and we meet Vegas in a second round playoff series and who cares who has home ice I don't think it's ultimately going to matter that much with teams this good 
there's really nothing that can happen before that outside of something overtly negative, obviously, like losing in the first round or going seven in the first round against Arizona or St. Louis that can really answer any questions I have about this team. The entire season has just been leading up to this playoff series against Vegas, and while I'm really looking forward to the potential of having that, I'm also getting really tired of talking about it because it feels like all I talk about sometimes, like... I want the Avalanche to get to the Final Four purely just for obviously winning the Cup. That's one step closer. But also, for I just want to see somebody else, somebody else who is not in the West Conference, the normal West Conference. I want to see an East team. I'm so tired of playing the same seven teams over and over again. I mean, even looking back to last season, like in the, in the bubble, we played Vegas, St. Louis, and Dallas in the round robin. Then we had Arizona in the first round, and then we played Dallas. So Dallas is the last team not in this division that we've played. And even then, the last Eastern Conference team we played was the New York Rangers on the final normal day of the season. I think it was actually the final day of the regular season. It was paused, I believe, the next day because we won that game in overtime against the Rangers, and I believe the next day everything was shut down, if I'm remembering it correctly. It was over a year ago, so if I'm wrong, give me a little slack, but there's there's so many just fascinating matchups, potential matchups out of the Central and the East, and even the Canadian division. Like, assuming the Avalanche get out of the West, they could play Carolina, which I think would be spectacular. That was my Stanley Cup prediction at the beginning of the season, and quite frankly, it still is. It's tough to make a Stanley Cup prediction just because you there's no clear path. Like, we could play Carolina, but it also might not be for the Cup. It might be in the the first... I don't even know what they... just Is it just the third round? We'll just call it the third round. I, I've called it the final four, but I guess that particular round would be the third round, just and nothing else. So we could play Carolina just straight up in the third round and not for the Cup, and then end up playing I don't know the Islanders for the cup it could also be the other way around but like a matchup against Tampa Bay doesn't that just sound so fun like we get compared so much to the lightning and honestly I'd want nothing more than to be like no we're not the lightning we're the avalanche we're better than that we're built way better we have better players and we'll win a cup our own way without being compared to Tampa Bay that would be a dream matchup for me. So would Carolina, like I just mentioned. But, like, you look, go out to the East. All of these matchups are interesting. I think I the one I'd want to see the most is the Islanders, honestly. Because the Islanders have those strong systems and everything. And there was a point in this season where I was comparing the Avalanche's defensive structure and how they play defense to the Islanders. And, in my opinion, the way the Avalanche play defense doesn't get any attention because we have big names on the team like McKinnon and McCarr and Gerard, and the way the Islanders play defense gets attention because they don't have those big name guys on their team. They have Adam Pellick and Nick Letty and those guys. They used to have Devontae's. Thank you for that, by the way. We appreciate it, New York. We will gratefully accept him here, but I think that would be a fascinating matchup to see. I think I think the Avalanche would have the advantage there just because we can play the Islanders game and play the systems game and also beat them head-to-head It would just in pure talent. But even a matchup against Pittsburgh, McKinnon-Crosby, that's an easily marketable series. Like, that would be a great series to watch. And even a series against Washington. I, you know, I mean, that's a nightmare for me because I am a Capitals fan too, and I just, I wouldn't be able to cheer for either team. I'm, I'm, I would probably just bury my head in a pillow for that entire series, but in my complete unbiased professional opinion, I think the Avalanche absolutely beat the brakes off the Capitals if they would ever meet in a playoff series. I don't, I honestly don't see that series even going six if I'm being, com- if I'm being completely honest, the Avalanche would destroy the Capitals. I'm honestly not even that interested in the matchup. And you know why I think that? It's because I know both of those teams very, very well. I follow the Caps and the Avalanche essentially every single game. I know these teams very well, and I know how they will match up. 
and it will not be pretty. The avalanche would absolutely wreck them in every imaginable way. They have the better offense. They have a better defense. They have better goaltending. They have better structure. They're younger. They're faster. I don't think that would be a pretty series at all. I think Washington has a shot to get out of the East. I, With the East, the entire East division, I think it's just every series is a coin flip. I think every single team has a 25% chance to get out of the East division, if I'm being completely honest. And I don't know. I've, I've, I'd be interested in all of those series, honestly, like Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh, New York. All of those would be very fun, but I think a series against the Islanders for the Avalanche would be the most interesting. I just don't think that the Capitals would have any answer at all for the Avalanche if they were to meet in a playoff series. The Penguins might. They have Crosby and Malkin, and they certainly turn it on at certain points, and their home record is outstanding. They would certainly have an answer for the Avalanche. I still think the Avalanche would also beat the brakes off the Penguins, but maybe not as badly. I think a series against the Islanders would be the closest because the Islanders commit to the way they play the same way the Avalanche do, and I think that's why they have so much success is because they've embraced their style of play. They don't try to change it. They don't like change it because people want more skill or more toughness or more anything. They've built the team the way they want it, and it's it the way Trotz and Lamorella want it, it's perfect. And I think they're going all in this season, and I'd want to see how the systems match up. I'd want to see if the Islanders' system can actually contain the Avalanche. And if the Avalanche's systems, especially on defense and the way they protect the net, can even measure up to the way the Islanders do it, because they're basically the bar in the league when it comes to systems in the NHL. But if you want to talk about just pure fun matchups, like purely just this is shits and giggles kind of fun matchups, you go to the North and you look at specifically two teams that you would want the Avalanche to play in the Final Four. Number one being the Toronto Maple Leafs, number two, the Edmonton Oilers. Do I even need to get into why those series would be fun? Number one, Toronto and Edmonton are not very good at keeping pucks out of their net. So the Avalanche would score a lot of goals, but so would the Leafs and so would the Oilers because that's just what they do. And come on. Austin Matthews versus Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid versus Nathan McKinnon. Like, that that's so easy to sell. That's so fun. Everyone would want to see that. It's such an easy sell for the league. That's two... That's three of your biggest stars and two of them going head-to-head. Honestly, dream scenario for the NHL is you have the Leafs and the Oilers meet in the second round of the playoffs, and then they immediately move on for a matchup with the Avalanche and Nathan McKinnon and all the stars in Colorado. That Those would be some incredible hockey games to watch. And just for pure fun perspective, those are the ones that you want to see in the Final Four for the Avalanche, specifically because the Avalanche would win. They're better than both of those teams. I don't think that's a secret. I think in terms of like playoff series that would be a challenge I mean it's the final four all of them will be a challenge but I mean for me like teams that I think would put up an outstanding six or seven game series against this team and maybe even outright beat the avalanche would be Tampa Bay the New York Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes those would be great series to watch especially Tampa Bay and New York I think those are the two series that I would not be comfortable betting on. In every other series, pretty much against every other team, I'd feel pretty confident about putting money down on the Avalanche to win those series. Even Carolina, just because I don't love their goaltending, but it's gotten better, much better this season to the point that it's they have three goalies now that they can plug in to play in the playoffs, but I'd still think the Avalanche have an edge. Tampa Bay and New York, I wouldn't be overly confident in. And I would, I would avoid betting on those series as a whole. But everything else, I'd feel like the Avalanche would be a deserved favorite in. And I just hope, I just hope they can get there because, it, I mean, obviously it would just be brutal to lose 
to Vegas in the second round. It'd be more brutal to lose in the first round. But, like, if it all goes according to plan and we meet Vegas in the second round and we lose, that it's going to be a long offseason if that happens. It's going to be a long and painful offseason if they end up losing to Vegas. I'm not even going to entertain that right now because I fully believe they will beat Vegas. But just if they can't, whatever happens, whether it's injuries or bad luck, it will be a long offseason that I, would, for one, would not be looking forward to whatsoever. But I think they'll get there. And just next season, I don't even know if I want to play any of these teams again. Like, if we play one game each against every team from, the, from this division next season, I don't care. I don't want to see them ever again. Vegas, fine. Minnesota, fine. St. Louis, yeah, whatever, fine. Everybody else, I don't want to see your face ever again. Arizona and Anaheim especially. I do not want to see their faces ever again. I am so tired of playing these hockey teams. You have no idea. I want to play the Lightning. I want to play the Capitals. I want to play the Islanders. I want to play Dallas for Christ's sake. Like, I want to see other teams. Chicago, where have you gone, man? We want to play you again. I want to see some variety. Like, I I thought coming into the season that it might get old by the end of it but like there was there was even like a a voice in the back of my mind that like oh my god the avalanche they don't have to play for eight days i don't have to watch for eight days i was just getting so tired of watching the same teams over and over again and make no mistake i still love it i still love watching every single one of these games but like it's like, oh man, we have to play Arizona again. Oh man, we have two more games against the Ducks. Like there, was, it was getting to that point. I was like, oh my god, I don't even know if I want to watch. They're gonna win. Like, there's no question. They're going to win those games, and the Ducks and Coyotes are boring. I don't want to watch that. But at least now they're playing the Blues, which is interesting. They're gonna play the Golden Knights, which is outstanding. Then they're gonna have a slog against San Jose and L.A. They should win most of those games. Even if they don't, I'm not going to throw a fit about them or anything. But I just want to see somebody else. Like, Buffalo. I'd take playing Buffalo because at least it's different. Like, I'll, I'll take it. And and honestly, that just reminds me of another point I had a few episodes ago. The President's Trophy does not exist this season. The Avalanche might win it. They have the points percentage advantage over everybody in the league, even Vegas. Even though Vegas has the most points in the league right now, they've played two more games than us. But they're going to hand out a President's Trophy this season, and I just don't think it even exists. What, like, what even is it? Like, the President's Trophy this season, there's four of them. Because there's four different leagues, pretty much. Because everyone in the division only plays each other. That's, a, that's essentially almost its own league. In a normal season, you'd play everybody in the NHL. You'd have at least some sort of sample sizes against everybody else in the league. And honestly, that's why you'd see... Maybe some more separation between the President's Trophy winners and the teams in second and third. You'd, you'd have a pretty solid idea who was going to win the President's Trophy about two-thirds of the way through the season. You'd be like, okay, yeah, they've got it pretty much locked up barring some kind of collapse. The one I can think of is when Nashville won it back in 2018. That one kind of came down to the final few games. But you look at this one. Vegas at 66 has the most points. Carolina and Florida at 65, Colorado at 64, and then it's Tampa Bay, Washington, New York at 62, Toronto, Pittsburgh at 61, and then you get to 10th with Minnesota, it's 59. The difference between 1st and 10th is 7 points. Like, that is never going to happen. Like, let's look at 2019-2020 season and go from top down in the NHL. The Bruins had 100 points in 70 games before the season went on pause. And I'm not looking at points percentage, just looking at pure points. The difference between them and second, which was the St. Louis Blues, was 90... I'm sorry, the Blues had 94 points. The difference between them was 6 points. And you go back to this season, that's first and second. 6 points. You have to go from first to 10th to get a six-point difference because Pittsburgh and Toronto are at 61. That's a five-point difference. 
So I don't, I'm not going to take the President's Trophy seriously this season. Also, I forgot how close the Avalanche were last season. They had 92 points. I've, I just, I haven't looked at these standings in since this season started. I forgot the Avalanche were third in the league to end the season at 92 points. I forgot how good the Blues were last year. In any other season, we win that division in like a, a walk, but the Blues were outstanding last year. It's a shame they couldn't have been as good this year. That would have been a very fun race to have with them after trying to chase them down all of last year. But you see what I'm saying with the President's Trophy? There's one team usually that clearly gets it. I mean, let's look at 1819. That was the Tampa year. Tampa Bay had 128 points. The next closest team to them was Calgary at 107. They were 21 points ahead of the field for the President's Trophy that season. I think if you look at the 17-18, it gets closer. But even then, Nashville won the President's Trophy. Winnipeg, in their same division, had 114 points. It's a three-point difference. I mean, it's not massive, but, like, it's not huge. I mean, it's not nothing. This season, you've got a six-point difference or a seven-point difference between first and tenth. And how can you properly measure who's better between Vegas and Carolina based on the games they've played? You can't. They haven't played each other even once. Who knows? Maybe Carolina wins both of those games, and all of a sudden Vegas is at, let's let's just replace a few, let's replace two games and say Carolina wins both of those games. All of a sudden Vegas is at 62 points, and Carolina is at 69 points. All of a sudden that's now a seven-point difference the other way for the Hurricanes. So the President's Trophy should not even exist this season. I don't care if the Avalanche win it or don't, as long as they're ahead of Vegas at the end of the year. That's all I care about because that's the only thing that matters to us. That's the only sample size we've even had the entire season. Winning your division is essentially winning the President's Trophy in a normal season because those are the only teams that you're playing. And the President's Trophy winner this season might only win it by like a point. Colorado might only win it by like a point or two. Maybe Carolina ends up winning it. Maybe Tampa wins it. Like, the Central Division's also just kind of stacked this year. Florida's got 65 points. But maybe in a normal season, they don't. So that's why I think it's kind of dumb to hand out a President's Trophy this season anyway. Because you don't have that full sample size. I know I know it's such a minuscule thing to even complain about. But just, it, there's going to be a lot of stock put into it. And I talked a few episodes ago about, like, oh, the President's Trophy curse. Just stop. It's not real. It's a bunch of nonsense. And if the Avalanche win it and people and if people are going to hit us with the President's Trophy curse and, oh, they're going to blow it, just throw this back at them. The last time the Avalanche won the President's Trophy, they won the Stanley Cup. That was the Ray Bork year in 2001. And the last time a President's Trophy winner won the Stanley Cup was in a shortened season. That was the 2013 Chicago Blackhawks. And now this is the first shortened season since that. So who's to, who's to say that the President's Trophy winner won't win this time? Yes, they're on a cold streak recently. Yes, they haven't made the conference finals since 2015. But I'm telling you, in 10 years, that is just going to look like an outlier. Yes, the President's Trophy winner doesn't win every single year. But being the best team in the NHL is not an accident and not a fluke. And it's also very hard to win in the playoffs. It's... Even then, I'm getting distracted because it's not even real this season. If you win your division, you essentially win this season's version of the President's Trophy because there's four separate leagues this season. But I always, I always get so riled up about the President's Trophy. And I've, I already did one rant on that a few episodes ago. I don't think I need to do another one again. But not really anything else to talk about with the Avalanche in their last little bit of news, ranting in. Uh, going into contact tracing is the most recent thing. They returned to practice today. Haven't heard any updates since. So I assume everything went fine. I guess no news out of practice is good news. So really nothing else to talk about as we gear up for the home stretch. Big games against the Blues coming up. Bigger game against the Golden Knights next Wednesday. And... We'll get a pretty good view of what the Avalanche are going to look like in the playoffs from those games. Actually, maybe not, considering they're going to be fresh off a break. But 
we're going to see how they match up against a desperate team, and then they're equal in about a week's time. But I think that's just about it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. And if you're listening to this, that means you listened all the way to the end. You are very special, and I thank you. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL. Follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time when we have two games against the St. Louis Blues in the books. Peace, everybody. Have a great week and weekend.